Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Derek Puckett. I am a pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago, and I know Painted Door is in the house, too. Uh, my brother, Mark Bergen, pastor here. So thank you so much for letting us use your space, man. It's always good and a joy to be able to partner with other churches and um, be able to do different things. So um, and thank you for my brother, Paco, who I'm going to introduce in a minute. Um, but tonight is a follow up to what we did at Renewal a few weeks back where we we do a gospel and race conversation every year. Um, we do it pertaining to different topics. And this year we did it uh, talking about immigration here in our country. And it wasn't a political conversation or anything of that nature. If you weren't there, it was more so for us to be able to hear stories from other individuals that are immigrants or have family members that are immigrants. And the whole purpose for me is so that someone can now empathize, hear someone else's story um, and don't stop there, but now have compassion to seek the betterment of someone else. Um, so it's not just I feel where you're coming from. It's now I feel it and I want to do something about it. Um, I, I, I love you. And that comes out of the scripture where we looked at the week before Matthew 22, where we're talking about where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love. Y'all know it. Come on. Come on, Mark. Passed in the house. It's uh, to, to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul. I did the King James Version. Um, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the last part is love your neighbor with all as your... There you go. As yourself. I'm mixing it all up. So that last part where we talked about loving your neighbor and the question is, who's my neighbor? It's not just the person that looks like you, that votes like you, that talks like you, walks like you, eats like you, hangs out like you. It's the person that you're uncomfortable with, too. It's the it's the immigrant. It's the it's the gay. It's the straight. It's the it's it's the person that you wouldn't normally hang out with. And. How do you love that person is loving them how how Christ loved you, seeing that you weren't necessarily the same as Jesus either in your sin. Uh, So he crosses the line with us and he says to us as believers to be able to cross the line with other people, too. Uh, And that's how and hopefully in that allowing more people to come into the place where they 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 know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So we talked about that. um, And then the follow up was to have a conversation about that. So tonight. I've been wanting to do this for some years, so this is the first one, and we're going to hopefully do some more of these uh, surrounding around topics again. And as a pastor, my heart, Ephesians 4, is to really equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So um, I'm not out there in the, if you want to say the field or in your job all the time, but you are, uh, myself or Mark or Paco, we're not in the atmosphere that you are all the time. So we want to be able to pour into our people. So you all are equipped to do the work of the ministry wherever you are. And because you're, you're a Christian or you know Jesus and you're at your job or, uh, that should look different. Your community should look different because you're in it. Um, so we want to be able to equip you. And part of that is to be able to have a conversation that you probably already have in other spaces, but you might not normally have in your church. So want to be able to do that tonight and have a time where you guys can sit around a table and talk about this a little bit, bit more in depth. So there'll be more people probably walking in as the night goes on. But what I want to do is to get started is I'm going to bring my brother Paco up here. He is a pastor of New Life Little Village. Uh, he has a story. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself and as an immigrant himself. So I'm going to bring him up here and let him talk for a bit. Thank you, brother. Hey, um. Uh, he's a lot taller than me. And, uh, hey, um, so I'm timing myself here. So um, I have a lot of stories. So I'll just give you a couple of stories. And when you cut me off, then I'll, I'll finish them up later. It's kind of like a, the, the joke, you know, and you don't end up telling the, the end of the joke. But um, hey, um, so I was born in Mexico City. And um, uh, one came when I was a teenager to the States. And um, 
and I gave my life to Jesus. And um, overall, one of the things that I would like to highlight tonight, which, you know, it could have highlight many different corners of this issue, but um, is a kind of the missiological um, move of God. Uh, and overall, most people, when we are taken away from the place where we are normally um, comfortable doing life with, we start um, evaluating, re-evaluating a lot of the reasons around our lives. So maybe if you were born, you know, I don't know, maybe you grew up in rural uh, Nebraska and then you came for college in Chicago. And I mean, your context is radically different than where you grew up with. And, um, and you start reevaluating a lot of the things that, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the concepts, a lot of the culture that you, that, that you were born with. Um, magnify that for people crossing corners. And, uh, I always like to think, uh, I think, um, if you want to kind of understand a lot of, a lot of the immigrant, um, experience, you almost have to think, imagine that, you know, you're walking down Chicago, you feel comfortable, you love Chicago, you know where to go, you want to, you know where to take the train, where, you know, you have your, your net of, um, relationships and responses for life, you know, whatever happens. So you're feeling sick, you know what to do, you're, you have a flat tire, you know exactly what to do, um, you know who to call, you know, you know where, which app to go to, and, um, but imagine that we all of a sudden just grab you and throw you in the middle of Nepal. And um, now you do not look like everybody else. And you don't understand the language. But probably the, the most important thing, the rules are different. And the rules, you know, like the language and the being able to look like each other, sometimes it might be deceiving. But, uh, but really the rules is like, the, it's, it's the culture. It's the way in which we've grown up with. And, um, you know, whatever, whatever we do next, when something big happens in our lives. And imagine that you're driving down Nepal somewhere, some road, and all of a sudden you have a flat tire, and what do you do next? Whatever you do next, that's like your, your net, uh, net of support. And um, if you don't have that, then you are literally, um, you're, you're, you really are at the deepest of a, a, the immigrant experience. That's a very good thing, actually. Um, it's uh, for most immigrants, um, they are able to um, evaluate. We are able to evaluate um, everything that we've ever counted on. You know, and um, two big questions overall that most immigrants end up asking themselves um, in one way or another. You know, it might be that you didn't ask it this way or something, but really it ultimately leads you to uh, who am I? And when you ask yourself that question, now, if you were born in Chicago, you're living in a comfortable place where it's, you know, where it's normal for you, most likely over the long haul of your life, you will end up confronting painful situations which will ask you, who are you really? And that's why the, the writer of uh, Ecclesiastes says, it's better to be at a funeral than to be at a party. Sounds a little morbid, doesn't it? But really, we all understand, he says, because in a party, no, nobody's thinking about life. You know, like, yeah, nobody's thinking about life. But in a funeral, everyone sits down and some, somehow starts asking themselves the deeper questions of life. If you are told tomorrow you're going to die in six months, you stop, you stop, and all of a sudden you start asking yourself questions that you didn't have time for. 
immigrants, when they cross borders, the farther from their experience that they go to, the deeper the questions are. And those are very good questions because you can't ever come to know Jesus unless you actually, at some point in your life, you ask yourself those questions, which really means that it's probably the people that are the most open to the gospel at any given time living around your life. The other question that a lot of us ask ourselves is really, who can I count on? You know, like, if I'm here alone and nobody understands my experience, I'm in a brand new experience, who can I count on? And specifically, is there someone greater? I actually minister in a church where a lot of people in our congregation, it's not, it's not unusual for people to do work for a week or two weeks, and then when they go and pick up their paycheck, the guy says, I'm not paying you. Like, uh, what? I just finished working for a week for you. you know, like, we built this house. We painted this thing. We fixed this wall. We're, like, I'm not paying you. And what are you going to do about it? I mean, I know you're here illegally. And um, here's the question. Uh, where do you go next? Well, a lot of us tend to start looking for God. Because you need someone above those laws. And above those rules, actually, uh, American law will actually benefit, give you the benefit of the doubt over that, you know, even over immigration, especially in Chicago. Um, if you live in Chicago, there's a, your rights are actually greater for you if you worked and were not paid than even for you to be sent, you know, to immigration or your name being sent or something like that. But how would I know? You know, like, how would people know? But at that very time, I think the question goes a little bit like, is there a greater, you know, referee, you know, ref to stop and say, whoa, 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 yellow card, bro, you can't do that. You've got to pay him. And um, it's interesting that the deeper the, the experience, the immigrant experience, and the more that the heart bends towards God, the more that people end up falling on their knees and becoming people of prayer. I've noticed it. I've noticed it in my life. I feel like um, I lead an English and Spanish congregation in our community. And uh, in our Spanish congregation, I should dress up. Um, I say, you know, open up your Bibles. And most everybody, you know, I hear the trees, you know, just dying with the paper. And uh, in our English congregation, um, you know, I'm told to dress down. And, you know, I say, open up your Bibles. And I don't know if you're playing, you know, in Fortnite, or, you know, you're like on Facebook or whatever, you know, it's like, like the, the bent is different. They like, kind of like the inclination of everything is different. But you've got to guess. You know the answer to this question. When we call for a time of prayer and fasting, who prays and fasts much more radically? Our immigrant congregation. You kind of have to say like, hey, can I get a prayer in? I'm like, oh, like this guy's praying. Like then this other guy jumps in and this other guy jumps in. And in our English congregation, it's like, is anybody awake? I'm like, oh, like we've been in silence for like two minutes. I'm like, I'm like, wow, it's very different. And I think there's something real certain when Jesus says, him who has been loved much, forgiven much, loves much. And um, I wanted to mention that because I remember um, how my heart just opened before God. First of all, I blame my dad for being here. And then, long story, then I blame it, blamed God. And um, I ended up 
saying at some point, just God, I know I blamed you all this time, like an open fist. At some point, I just said, would you help me? And my life radically changed. And it's interesting that I've seen that over and over and over again. Um, Justo Gonzalez, um, Cuban uh, professor. If you went to seminary, then you ended up reading his um, his big uh, two tom two volumes, um, Church History, and um, is. Cuban immigrant, and he's, I love his perspective in church history. I wish I would have brought the the um, this exact quote. I can actually send it to you later, and you can pass it on to everyone. But um, church historian that for a long time that was the book that you know in every seminary in America they would use, and I'm um, still in Spanish. Is and um, it's interesting. I remember reading through the book and getting to the end of the first 300 years. And he says something like this. I'm, of course, I'm heavily paraphrasing because I forgot to bring it. But he says this. He says, in the first 300 years of Christianity, Christianity traveled farthest and deepest into all the corners of the empire brought by people who did not intend to be there. Exiles, slaves, and I think he has something else. And then, uh, you know, like spoils for more. And specifically, he mentions, um, I, he doesn't mention immigrants, but I would add that. Immigrants who ended up going all over the empire against their will, but carrying over their shoulder the seed of the gospel wherever they went. And thus... Igniting revivals in places where the official missionaries could not have been there yet. I feel like when you think about that, think about, you know, sending missionaries. If you are part of any mission agency and um, you send 10 people into any field, just choose any field in the world, and you send 10 people in one year, you would be at the cream of the crop, at the top of mission agencies. Most mission agencies are not sending that many people, but yet immigrants move from here, there, everywhere, by the hundreds and thousands, everywhere, all of the time. And what they carry up on their shoulders is the seed of the gospel. Right now, at this very moment, two years, uh, I feel like five years ago, I, seven years ago, I married a guy who, um, a guy and a girl, Dan, Dan and Kathy, who um, ended up um, going to Yemen as missionaries. And uh, a couple of years later, their friend, actually their co-worker was killed, ambushed, killed. And so the mission agency had to pull him out. And, um, you know, up to now, we don't know how many missionaries are in Yemen. And um, they ended up moving to, um, to a little bit north of Detroit. Uh, there's, a, there's a town right there, which is the most Yemeni immigrants from, you know, like it's, it's almost like one of the largest Yemeni cities in the world. And um, he says, hey, I walk down the street and I tell him, hey, I was in your house. Like, I actually knew your uncle. I, like, in other words, I've, I've met relatives. And he says, hey, are you in touch with your relatives? And they said, what's up? What's up is the answer. Every single day we're talking to him. And it's amazing. Here's another question to ask about immigration. What might God be doing through it? What might God be doing through it? So several years ago, um, a guy um, 
A guy was coming back from the Catholic Church in his bike, um, just two blocks away from us, and he heard the worship coming out, you know, like loud singing coming out through the street, and he stopped, and he was just looking, he had this little boy in the back of the bike, and, and he was just looking, and somebody who was coming in late to church, which, praise God for the late comers, and uh, he was like, hey, he looked at him in the eyes, they kind of locked eyes, and he was like, you want to come in, just come in with me? And so he kind of walked in, gave his life to Jesus. He clearly said, this is exactly what I was looking for. That's why I was going to catch it. I, I was just looking for God. And um, two weeks later, he got baptized. Him and his daughter, his older daughter. And then like a month and a half later, he comes and he tells me, Hey, uh, Pastor, can you get me a box of Bibles? I'm like, yeah, I can get you a box of Bibles. So what's up? And he says, I'm on my way back to Mexico. And I I have another relative who gave his life to the Lord in um, Washington State, and we're both going to meet in our hometown, and we're gonna, we have a plan of visiting every single one of our relatives and giving them a Bible and telling them about what Jesus has done in our lives. You can't plan that. You can't plan that. You can't you can't organize that unless you are the Holy Spirit. I mean, you just can't, no mission agency can ever kind of organize that and have open doors into somebody's home tomorrow like the Holy Spirit does all the time, every single time. And um, so I live in the largest Mexican enclave in the, midst, in, the mid, in, the, in the Midwest of the United States. And uh, I felt like I've enjoyed being there. And um, the interesting thing is uh, there's a uh, historian, um, kind of, you know, any ways, a writer. His name is Ray Backey. If you have never read of Ray, Ray Backey, you should. Um, he was a pastor for many years here in Chicago. He wrote a lot about, about, he kind of like ushered the evangelical church in many ways into loving the city. And kind of like saying, hey, hey especially for white people, it's, ba- it's okay to come back into the city. And, um, you know, especially if you're a believer. And you can find mission in the city. And, um, uh, but one day he sat with us and he said, and hey, Paco, don't stay in Little Village. Always follow the immigrant lines. Follow the immigrant lines wherever they go. And it's interesting. At some point, you know, we had a very deep theology of community. And so I remember talking about Little Village, Little Village, Little Village. Almost, I, I would never leave Little Village, you know, like talking always, you know, like we want to love our community. Did a lot of things in our community. Just felt like we wanted the, the neighborhood to say, you are central to our lives. You know, you're like the heartbeat of our, of our community. Uh, we can't live without you. We might not believe what you believe. We might think you're a cult or crazy, but, but we need you. You know, and uh, that was kind of like our vision. But uh, I remember when Ray Backy told us, hey, uh, don't ever neglect following the immigrant lines and see where they would take you. I wish I could tell you a little bit of the story of I, I ended up going with him to a church plant that we, we started in, in, in Peru. And um, he preached, and I translated for him um, the story of, um, of Philemon and Onesimus. And um, I wish I could have more time to tell you that, but uh, if you buy his book... Uh, um, uh, a theology as big as the city, that's one chapter, which like changed all my perspective. But uh, I'll, I'll finish by telling you just one more story. And he said to us, a short guy, 
which I love hanging around shorter guys than me. And, um, and so that kind of makes me feel a little bit taller. And so, uh, and Aniceto had been coming to our church for almost a year with his family. He would sit early, he would come in, sit early in the back, and just pack the entire first back row with his children, and they would all listen to the message. He was the kind of guy that, you know, like he comes from a region in Mexico, it's a lot quieter. And so uh, at the end of every, every message, he would like leave right away with his kids. So if I took a little bit longer, I would never get to see him. So I started making a point halfway through service going and saying hi to him. He will always say hi to me and all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember um, at one point we started thinking, uh, what if we become very, uh, very strategic about following people into their homes? You know, it's like Jesus never invited anybody to synagogue that I know of. You know, like every single time that he met people, he ended up inviting himself to their homes. And, uh, you know, like our strategy was radically the opposite. It's like, hey, I met you, I talked to you, and like, would you come to church with me? And I thought, man, exactly where Jesus takes the right, I go left. And I'm thinking, what if we start taking the Jesus example and we just invite ourselves to people's homes? And so we started praying about that, talking about that, and kind of realizing that the, the real battles are at home. The real, real life is at home. You know, we all look good here. <laughs> Uh, but uh, if you really want to see us truly, then show up at our homes. And uh, that, that was Jesus' strategy, clearly. And so I remember one Sunday, I'm like, I know where I'm going to go. You know, we like a few of us that got together, we started praying about going into people's homes. And I, I was like, I know where I'm going to go. And so I went and told Aniceto, hey, Aniceto, this week I want to come to your house. And he's like, oh, yeah, all right, when? He's like, um, Tuesday night? He's like, yeah, 7 o'clock? He's like, yeah. You know, that's like a Christian time almost, like Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. And so I was like set, you know, that was kind of my homework in making disciples. And so I um, told people, hey, would you pray for this? And then I showed up at his house Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. When I knock at the door, I thought that it was going to be Aniceto and his kids. But I hear this murmur behind, like, shh, pastor's here. I'm like, oh man, I don't know what's happening. So the door opens, like it, and I walk in. I did not know that Aniceto owned several businesses. It's undocumented here, and he already owns a lot of businesses. He gave his life to the Lord, having been in AA for several years, and then he started thinking as he gave his life to the. I, I, I'm sorry, he started coming to our church as he um, in in as a result of looking for God because of AA. And, um, and then he opened businesses to employ all these other guys. And so, um, so unbeknownst to me, he had invited a lot of his relatives and, um, and all his employees. And so I walk in, and I'm like thinking, oh man, I was looking for a shorter, a smaller meeting. And, um, you know, I, it smells like food, so I'm like thinking we'll be okay. And then, uh, sat down and shared the gospel clearly. And then he said, just like I had been told, you know, like being taught several weeks ago. And I, I, as, um, I, I look at him, and at the end, you know, I was trying to say, hey, so, um, what keeps you from giving your life to Jesus? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, he's been coming to our church for almost a year. And so he says, nothing. I was just waiting for someone to come into my house and, uh, and tell me how. And so we prayed, we ate, and then two weeks later, I'm baptizing him out in the street outside our church building. And, um, you know, like a very public event. And then um, 
three weeks later, he's baptizing two of his, of his co-workers. And over a, over a year, he baptized close to 30 people from, that were there in the house. And um, several months later, I made the commitment to go. Jesus says, you know, go into homes, and then if, if somebody receives you into our home, then don't keep going from home to home. Just stay there and say your peace be here. And so um, I kept on going to teach him how to make disciples and train them. And, and, um, and then, I know you didn't want me to mention it, but then Trump was elected. And there was a deep pain in our community. I've never seen it. Anger, pain, and like almost desperation. And um, I remember I was upset myself for things that, you know, I live in the Mexican neighborhood, for things that he had said when he began his campaign. He said, hey, um, you know, Mexicans are rapists. And I'm like thinking, hey, you know, hello, my name is Paco. I might be a rapist. And, uh, and, um, and so that night I'm going to his house and I'm battling in my soul, talking to God. I don't know how this is going to feel when I go there. So I walk in and these guys are like laughing. It was like a big circle of people that were like training each other and that kind of stuff, making disciples. And, and they like look at me and they're like, oh, you look kind of depressed. And I'm like thinking, I'm legally here. You guys should be depressed. And, and, um, and they laugh and they kind of said, and he said there was the one that said it, he said, You've been teaching us how to make disciples and how to start churches. And so it doesn't matter now. So we might be taken by immigration, sent to another country, sent back home. Guess what we're going to be doing from now on? And I thought, man, the Holy Spirit, don't ever play chess with the Holy Spirit. Like amazing like 20 moves before, like before we even make one move, he's got it all together. Um, I wanted to share with you, the Holy Spirit is doing things that go beyond even the thoughts that we could ever imagine. And I'll leave it at that. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was a good word. Uh, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna if you're if you're not if you're a group leader, raise your hand here. You group leaders, any group leaders? If you're not at a table where we need a group leader, I would let you guys to spread out a bit. Um, and there's a renewal group leader. So we're gonna have a discussion around these questions on the table and also what Pastor Paco said. But before we do that, I want to pray um, for this discussion as you guys talk and just. Um, yeah, I just wanted to be the Lord to move in our midst too. And as he said, this is it's not a conversation. I just wanted to stay here. We wanted to go out of here and to be able to make more disciples and equip folks uh, to do the work of the ministry wherever they are. Um, as he said, going all the way across the world. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the night. Thank you for your goodness. You're an awesome God. God, I pray that uh, that you be here in this night with us as you already have been in this word that's spoken, God, as well as uh, the people that have made it out. Even if there are some that are still coming, God, I pray that you will get them here safely. God, I pray that you be in our words that are shared tonight. You be in our hearts that we be able to accept, that we be able to hear our brothers and our sisters as we talk through um, something that we're all interested in. We need to know more about God but also can be a little close to home and hard for us to talk about, too. So, God, I pray that you'll be in our midst. Holy Spirit, have your way. 
Um, do your will and let us move out of the way and allow us to engage with one another on a deeper level. God, we thank you for who you are. And we know you're doing a work that we can't even see sometimes. So you're good. We pray all these things in your name and everyone said together. Amen. Amen. All right. Get to know each other a little bit and we'll close up at the end. Mark will come back up and we'll close out at the end. I fear that perhaps I'm interrupting some great conversation and some great prayer, but such is the role of a pastor. Uh, this was a great evening. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, thank again to our speaker, Pastor Paco, uh, for sharing uh, a little bit of his life experience. Let's give Paco a warm round of applause. I hope in your table discussions you were able to get into some meaningful exchange and even some risky conversation. Uh, risky conversation is not in vogue in our day, right? Um, people prefer to all agree or pretend they agree or if they disagree to hate and never speak to one another again. Uh, and the church is a place where we can learn how to engage with those with whom we disagree for the sake of the world. Right? The world needs to learn how to disagree again. Uh, because that's how we learn, and that's how we meaningfully interact with one another. Um, so what a great laboratory this is when we're covered in the blood of Christ, and we know we're united eternally in Christ for us to be honest about where we come from and the disagreements that we have and know that we're going to lock arms forever in solidarity, in eternity, no matter what our positions are. So let's continue to engage. Continue to engage with one another. Get riskier and riskier in the conversations. Risk friendship with people in the church uh, because as you do that, you will learn how to engage with those at your work and those at your school and those in your neighborhood uh, make mistakes with fellow Christians where there's blood to cover it, and then you'll know how to engage better with those who don't know the Lord uh, and be a great service to everyone that you interact with throughout the world. Um, so we're learning how to be in relationship in the church for the sake of the relationships of the world. So what a good activity this was tonight, uh, and let's continue doing it. Let's do more and more of it and get more and more uncomfortable with it. All right. All right. Very good. Um, thank you all for being here. We love opening our space uh, for this kind of engagement, eager to do it more often, especially with renewal. What a wonderful thing to have a sister church just down the road um, from us. And let's engage more and more. We have so much at the painter door that we need to learn from y'all. So uh, let me pray. And then you can continue talking for a little while and then leave because I want to go home and go to bed. All right. <clears throat> Father, uh, thank you. Uh, for the way that you love us and cover us uh, with the blood of your son. Uh, we thank you that our sins, our sins of omission, our sins of commission, um, the sins of our mind, the wrong thinking, the wrongheadedness we have toward one another and even toward ourselves, uh, the false ways that we see each other, the false ways that we see ourselves, that all of it is covered and washed, that we are declared yours forever from the outset of our life and walk with you. We thank you for that safety and provision that then allows us to stumble and fall and learn and make fools of ourselves over and over again, knowing that you are with us, you are teaching us, you are shepherding us. So I pray for each person here that we would have the courage uh, by your spirit to get ourselves into risky places, to not play it safe relationally with each other, 
to not play it safe relationally with our brothers and sisters in Christ especially, uh, but to get in over our head so that we would stumble and fall and learn and grow and become more and more like you. Lord, give us your heart uh, for all people. Uh, Give us your heart for us, uh, that we would think of ourselves the way you think of us, and out of that overflow, think of others the way you think of them. Uh, Lord, heal our city, uh, we pray. Uh, Use your church to do this. Lord, we ask that more and more of these kinds of nights would happen, and more and more friendship across dividing lines would happen until those dividing lines fall and the enemy's tricks and the ways that he divides us and leads us into our tribal identities would be made a mockery of in the love of Christ. Now do these things for the sake of your name and your glory, we ask. It's in Christ's name. Amen.